and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes your favorite ideas and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them. And this week... Da, 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 it was Agatha all along. <laughs> yeah, uh, this week we are adapting an Agatha Christie story. One that hasn't been adapted before. Huh. Which is saying something because a lot of our oeuvre has been adapted. So I'm trying to think. I think I only know two or three Agatha Christie's. Because I know Mousetrap. That's a play. Yeah. Um, And she also did Ten Little Indians. It's now known as And Then There Was One. Okay. I couldn't remember if they changed the title or not. And Then There Was None. (laughs) Because nobody survived that, that book. Yeah, I'm going to spoil, like, a 70-year-old book and say nobody got out. <laughs> okay, well, I'd, isn't it illegal to spoil the mousetrap? Won't they, like, come find you if you spoil the mousetrap? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, most of her other works, um, because they fall under either, like, her, her Hercule Poirot series or her Miss Marple series, have been adapted mostly for TV. Um, I know that Murder on the Orient Express and Murder on the Nile have been adapted to film several times actually recently like the murder on the nile comes out this year or next year yeah that's the kenneth Branagh one and i don't know if miss oh murder in paradise i think was a film adaptation that's from the miss marple series anyway what we are doing is adapting one of her seven book seven of her many books that have never been adapted there is (laughs) sorry sorry there is a perot and miss marple anime Yes, there was. <laughs> <laughs> it looks adorable. <laughs> um. Anyway, this book, Destination Unknown, is one of her few for uh, forays into the spy genre. Ooh! Well, yeah. why, why am I not surprised? <laughs> yeah. Well, this also uh, was published on November first, nineteen fifty-four. So this was when James Bond was starting to become a thing. And there was a couple other um, spy novels out there, like uh, guys like uh, Alistair MacLean and I think uh, McGinnis were writing at the time. But we, like, this is before, like, the real big boom in the British spy genre. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm reading a book about, about this entire period called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's pretty good. Cool. Yeah. So this is pre-John Le Carré. The general premise of this book is that in Morocco, there's this woman named Hilary Craven who has recently been divorced and her uh, young daughter died of meningitis. And she is planning on committing suicide, but is instead recruited by the British Secret Service for a mission to track down a missing nuclear physicist. As expected, Hillary is soon transported to meet her new husband because she just so happens to have a passing resemblance to his uh, recently deceased wife, hmm. um, whom he didn't know had died. She was she died on a plane ride to the plane that she was on crashed, and it was decided, "Hey, Hillary, you kind of look like Olive. How about you be Olive?" <laughs> um, huh. So anyway. This missing physicist isn't the only missing scientist. Like, they don't know if they've defected to the Soviets because this is during the Cold War or if something else is going on. But she finds herself in this uh, research 
center in the middle of the Atlas Mountains in Morocco and uh, basically encounters a Bond villain who's planning on like hoarding all of the world's scientific knowledge and like the real young up-and-coming scientists for himself and then selling their work to other countries at like really high prices. But the problem with this book, and for the most part, I I enjoyed myself. It was a good it was a good thriller. Right up until like the last few chapters where it's like, okay, let's do the whole drawing room uh, summation of what the crimes are and <laughs> everybody goes to jail ending. Like it's a Miss Marple book. And and is is Miss Craven doing the summation even though she's just a housewife? She's not even like an amateur sleuth? No. Um the guy who kind of becomes her love interest is doing it. Okay. Yeah. And she's not really... I don't know if she's a housewife because like it's mentioned early on in the book that she might have done some professional writing. Okay. So we're going to explain that. What I'm going to do is give it the AMC uh, or the HBO treatment of a six-part miniseries. Okay. Yeah. I do want to quickly say, so far, this sounds like... Um... Uh, it's this sounds like true lies if it only focused on Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> Which one of us is going to do the Schwarzenegger impression? <laughs> your contact day will be Boris, and your code name will be Doris. <laughs> I hear he has to go to a speech coach now because he's almost lost his his Austrian accent. That is fascinating. Well, he's lived in the States for so long, like... Yeah, but still. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, so my plan for the Destination Unknown miniseries is basically to break the book up into six parts. Uh, the first part will be covering, like, from the disappearance of the nuclear physicist Thomas Betterton and Hillary's recruitment and just doing the whole backstory. Like, what is, what is the mystery? And getting to Morocco and then getting on the first leg of the journey to the secret villain's hideout. Um, episode two, uh, we finish the journey, we get to the research station, um, and then it's like her handler, Jessup, is trying to track her down. Um, Hillary meets Betterton. Hillary starts investigating what's going on, learns about why certain people are, are there. at Like, what lured them to this entire situation because one of the things I found interesting is that there are different scientists with very different politics. Like one is an out and out fascist. One is a committed communist. Like what attracted you to come here? And like in a later episode, when we actually meet the villain, it turns out that what he's offering them is like unlimited amounts of money to do your research and no limits on what you can do. Okay. Yeah, it's like, just, hey, you ever you ever wanted to be a mad scientist? Come be a mad scientist. Yeah, that's basically what he's offering. Just go we'll, ham, kids. Here's we'll all my money. The, we'll build the fascist super soldier and the communist super soldier, and then we'll just put them in an arena and let them fight. Yeah, basically. Um, and then there's another mystery that I'm going to introduce a bit better than what Christy did. So... Part of Thomas Betterton's backstory is that he had been married to a woman named Elsa. And her father had been a scientist, had been a rather well-regarded nuclear physicist. He died, 
and then Elsa married Tom. And then she dies under somewhat suspicious circumstances. For the most part, people... (laughs) It's always murder. (laughs) Agatha Christie, it's always murder. Yeah. (laughs) In this case, arsenic poisoning. So the big thing is, why did she die under these mysterious circumstances? Well, Thomas Betterton is famous for this uh, discovery of Zeddy fission. It's never explained. We can do some yada yada fake science stuff. He invented a new math that makes all the other math pale in comparison. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. I don't know. We could probably hire a couple physicists to do like, oh, what would be a groundbreaking discovery in 1954? I mean, it's also it's the 50s. It already sounds a little pulpy. Yeah. I mean, this is this is also this is Sky Captain, you know, without the planes or the CGI or the robots. I mean, well, not the book Moonraker, but the film Moonraker does take place on the moon. So, <laughs> do they go to the moon? Is that what? Is that the destination unknown? Is it the moon? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Um, I mean, okay, if um, James Bond can be strapped down to a table with a laser going up his crotch, like we can futz around with physics. <laughs> but the big thing is that. Uh, Thomas Betterton didn't actually discover Z.E. Fission. It was Elsa. Basically, he seduced her, then murdered her, then stole her work. So one of the guys who's kind of implied to be uh, Hillary's love interest, Andrew Peters, whose real name, uh, he was given the stupid name Borsk later because apparently Agatha Christie thought it sounded Polish and it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. So I'm renaming him something Way more Polish sounding. Uh, I put him down as Andrzej Galinsky. Or, yeah, Andrzej Galinsky. So, in the book, he's her cousin, but they were raised together, basically, like, brother and sister. I'm just going to streamline it and say that they're brother and sister. And uh, he gets into this whole thing by kind of pumping up his own scientific credentials, but also, like, no, I'm here to kill... Basically, I am Andrzej Galinsky, you killed my sister, prepare to die. Okay. Yeah. In the book, he's just like, I want to take him in so that he, like, gets a trial and all that. I'm like, no, no, he's he's down for murder. An eye for an eye for Andrzej. That will be revealed eventually in this series, probably around episode five. But the big reveal is who is behind this entire thing. It's a guy by the name of Mr. Aristides. Uh, He's introduced in, like, the beginning of the novel, so let's say episode one. And he is stated to be one of the wealthiest men in the world. Like, vast oil fortune and all that. So he's basically, like, maybe not an Elon Musk, but kind of like an Elon Musk, it seems. Okay. Yeah. So Of the time? Of the time, yeah. So he's the one who is financing all of this, and he's the one who's like, I want to control all of this information and uh, get filthy fucking rich. Basically. That's why I'm like, he's kind of Blofeld. And also, like, um, I can't be the only one listening to the to this podcast who has seen The Night Manager and has read the book. Anyway, that's a John LeCrae novel. Um, it's originally from the 90s. It was adapted recently with Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie and Elizabeth Debicki and Olivia Coleman. <laughs> I'm listening <laughs> up all, all the main. And like 17 other famous British people. Yeah, basically. Well, Elizabeth Debicki's American. <laughs> Really? She looks British. Nope. 100% uh, apple pie. Apple pie American. Hmm. Um, Whale hail. (laughs) Well, anyway, 
uh, the main villain, who's played by Hugh Laurie, is a guy by the name of Dickie Roper. Um, or Richard Roper. Everybody calls him Dickie. Um, anyway, he is an international arms dealer. But he his cover is that he's just, you know, this billionaire philanthropist, you know, trying to make the world better. All that sort of stuff. So I'm going to make Mr. Aristides a bit more like Dickie Roper. In that, like, secretly, like... Yeah, he wants to like sell this all all this information. He just wants the scientists to go ham, but he also kind of wants them to develop weapons so that he could have a bit of a, you know, fist and also be like, "Hey, US, I got this new uh chemical weapon here that you probably want to have just in case, you know." Yeah. Just in case, wink wink. Yeah, exactly. And then turn around to the Russians and say, "Hey, I heard the Americans have this new chemical weapon. You uh better buy this other thing I have so that you can get ahead of them." Mhm. All the while, he gets filthy fucking rich, even more than he already is. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, I'm going to give this the proper ending because it kind of just, like, Hillary's handlers show up and, like, arrest Mr. Aristides and Thomas Betterton, and that's about it. It kind of just stops. Okay. I don't know if Christy lost interest or couldn't figure out a way to end the story on a more high-action note, but we're going to give this a more high-action ending. Yeah. And I think the big thing is I want Hillary to get into contact with uh, Jessup a bit earlier because she's doing a lot of investigating. Like, not only has she figured out the secret behind uh, Zeddy Fission and that it wasn't actually Betterton's work, it was Elsa's work, but also, like, hey, do you want to know what some of the people are working on here? You kind of want me to stick around for at least a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have some investigation stuff, and then, like, there's a lot of conversations between Hillary and Andy Peters, or Andrazi, about escaping, and it's like, okay, what if there's, like, a big, like, table turn situation where they get found out that they're spying for, say, the Brits or whoever, and, uh, like, they have to find a way to get out, maybe they get captured, there's a whole, like, running into the, into the Moroccan desert, basically. Oh, dang. Yeah. Yeah, because Morocco is mostly desert. Like, have some high-speed chase stuff and survival stuff. And, yeah, that's mostly it. That's probably something for, like, episodes five and six before Mr. Aristides gets taken down. For now. Because this could be expanded into a bigger series. Yes. (laughs) Where he changes his name to Dr. Totemkopf. I mean, he's basically Blofeld. Like, he creates a secret research facility in the Atlas Mountains for all the world's mad scientists. Well, also, I'm also looking at, uh, on the other side of things, Hillary is working for The Unit, which I wouldn't be shocked if Unit from Doctor Who was inspired by this, but yeah, she works for a secret government agency called The Unit. Yeah. <laughs> The administrative staff does include prostitutes for those men who came in without wives and formed no attachments with colleagues. Mm-hmm. Was- Nothing for the women, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, because Agatha Christie was born in the Victorian era, so um, I did not expect her to include any sort of sex stuff. I did appreciate... Um, so when Hillary... Our staff also includes some saucy twinks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there should be a couple saucy twinks and a few pool boys. <laughs> But anyway, 
the one thing I did appreciate is that when Hillary meets Thomas Betterton, who is described as being a fairly handsome man, Hillary doesn't feel any sort of attraction towards him. Like she's <gasps> like, <laughs> or asexual, like, asexual or whatever. Like I just appreciate lesbians that is more be- fun to utter in a hushed whisper. Yeah, <laughs> but at the very least, like not even like. The love triangle setup is right there, and Agatha Christie's just like, nah, man. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you. <laughs> to the to the the good guy and the bad boy are fighting over her, and she's like, this is in Twilight, and they go, we don't even know what Twilight is, and she's like, exactly, it hasn't been written yet. <laughs> I'm actually from the future, because Mr. Aristides used the time travel device to get me here. Wait, he has time travel? Yeah, you'd be surprised. Why Not, yet. <laughs> Not yet. Not <laughs> yet. But, yeah, it's pretty much that. And maybe, like, hey, HBO, if you wanted, like, a continuing spy drama. Yeah. Yeah. Med- medieval dramas are out. Bring in the fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> the spy fantasy. This is... Like, if we're gonna go with uh, TV tropes, like, the scale of spy fiction from Martini to stale beer, this is probably more... I kind of want it to be a bit more of a dirty Martini. Now, which spies are a White Claw? (laughs) Are those just... Is that Spy versus Spy? (laughs) Yeah, Spy versus Spy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, I don't think so. No, anybody... I guess I guess I guess one would be White Claw and the other one would be like Guinness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm saying that this is a dirty martini because like some of the backstories are pretty dark. Like I yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Like as I said, like when Jessup meets Hillary, she's just lost a child, gone through a divorce, and is thinking about taking her own life. And this is written by Agatha Christie. She's kind of famous for that two weeks where she disappeared after she found out that her husband was cheating on her and is like, hey, honey, can we get a divorce? So there's some speculation that uh, Christie was still not quite over that. I might be misremembering something. Was your theory that she was hooking up with a hot archaeologist at the time? Oh, no, she met the hot archaeologist after that. Okay, well, as far as we know. Yeah. Um, at the time when that whole thing happened, like, there was a lot of unkind press being like, oh, this is a publicity stunt for her latest book. And, um, I think one biographer is like, no, she probably had a bit of a breakdown and just, you know, like, she had her faculty, she knew what she was doing, but also, like, she just needed to get away. Mm -hmm. And maybe she... Like, this isn't the first time she's had a female character who's gone through a divorce and is thinking about taking their own lives. There was another book she wrote under a pen name called uh, Unfinished Portrait that was written in 1934. So I think she might have gone to some pretty dark places during that period. Hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Fair. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, let's tackle some mental health issues here because, like, clearly, Hillary, you're... Part of the reason why the Jessup recruiter is because he's like, yeah, you got nothing to lose. Like, if after this, if you're still alive and you still, you know, whatever, like, I'm, I'm cool with helping you out. Do you want to be a spy? <laughs> yeah. And then by the end, she's like, 
huh, I actually kind of want to live. Okay. But hey, she had a reason to live. So, because she finds out, oh, this other stuff is going on. Oh, this is really interesting. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Realize that she she cares about people too. I mean, that could be like something set up as her fatal flaw at the beginning, that she cares a lot about people just in general. Mm-hmm. And like the reason she is on the brink is because all the people she cared about have left her. Yeah. And now it's like, I have the capability and I feel like I have the obligation to help others, even if I don't know them personally, but my own inaction would be on my conscience Yeah. if I just went back to being an author after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of making her a journalist, thus some investigative skills, but there's quite a bit of crossover between journalists and authors. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well we could have both it could be she's an author at the beginning yeah and then after she goes through all this she like just pivots into journalism Mm -hmm. and that also gives her a cover to for the unit when they need her to investigate stuff she's like yeah i'm i'm writing a story yeah and then that i mean obviously there's some places where it's like we're not going to have any journalists here at all but there's going to be other places where it's like oh if you're going to write my story that sounds great i would love the papers to have everything from my perspective yeah and it's actually not that uncommon, especially back around this period, for journalists to kind of dip into the spy world. Yeah. Yeah. Or to have been recruited from uh, papers uh, to become spies. Kim Philby's kind of an infamous example. He was a British spy who was a mole for the Soviets. Oops. He was a mole for the Soviets for decades before Oops. he defected. <laughs> okay. Yeah. One of the reasons why John Lercure became a full-time writer, like he was already planning on be- on retiring from the spy business to be to focus on his writing, and then kill- Kim Philby blew his cover. It was like, well, oh. good job. Yeah, guess you forced the question. <laughs> <laughs> it could on on the flip side, she could also her cover could be as a tabloid reporter. Because then it's yeah. another case of being beneath notice, which is kind of what they wanted to begin with. Yeah. Like, who really pays attention to tabloids? And then everyone can be like, oh, it's so sad that Miss Craven, after her book flopped, and then her family fell apart, and now she writes for tabloids. How the mighty have fallen. Oh, yeah. Just stick the knife in a little deeper. You'll never get a Newbery Award now. And meanwhile, she's like, I have killed seven men. <laughs> Also, like, I was in my notes. I'm like, okay, what are some other stuff to add? Some action scenes, some investigation. What exactly is Zeddy Fishing? Um, okay, yeah. So that's that's something I was going to say is that you could you could say it's just like a formula for more efficient fission or even just throw out the Zeddy and just say, oh, he determined a formula for cold fission. Yeah. Or cold fusion, whichever one is like the, the holy grail. Because yeah. that's always been the big thing. Yeah. And no one's cracked it yet, so. Yeah, or like maybe Zeddy Fission is on the road to getting cold fusion. So we found out what that is. Um, <laughs> in my notes, I'm right. Sex! Show Hillary getting s- <laughs> as being sexy and in charge. And now I'm like, what if she's asexual, though? That's true. So then we have to show someone else having extreme sex. Because <laughs> this is a spy series. <laughs> like This is... This is Murder, She Wrote by way of John Le Carre. Yeah. (laughs) 
Like, that doesn't mean she can't have a bit of romance, but it doesn't mean she has to, you know, do the do. Some nice flirting would be awesome. Um. Oh, wait a second. Okay, wait. hang on. Hang on. I have an yeah. idea. Okay. Um, If we want to give her a Bond girl, quote unquote. <laughs> um, Like, they, they could be... Even even though it's still set in the fifties, bring this into the modern times. Let's say yes, like yeah. we we do not discriminate when we know we have a good agent on our hands, and so that is why we have a, a multitude of sex workers if we need them. Um, and it's like offers to like, do you want this saucy pool boy? No, okay. What about this? What about this cabana girl? <laughs> and then and then it turns out that the cabana girl air quotes air quotes is basically going to be like her bodyguard. Okay. She also has a license to kill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and may- maybe maybe they get together, and maybe if Hillary's asexual, they still get together. But it's just like I this is not something that interests me. I only did I lied back to think of England because I wanted a kid. Obviously, that didn't work out. <laughs> yep. And like, if we put this in the modern day, then let's say the kid died died of cancer. That's oh, that's another thing is that we could easily stick this in the modern day. Yeah. Yeah, and that also gives us access to way more technology for her yes. to play around with. And can also, like, better convince uh, Jessup to let her stay around a bit to poke her nose and stuff. And it would also allow us to diversify the uh, people she's interacting with. Yeah. Which, I mean, obviously we could do that in the 50s too, but we don't have to suspend the disbelief as much. Yeah. And again, like, actually, I could, historically speaking, could probably suspend, um, like, international core organization more than we I could suspend them being, like, <laughs> having the sexually diverse group of sex workers on staff, you know, for yeah. distractions. <laughs> Sorry, yes. I just keep getting caught up on that. Because <laughs> yeah. they have, they found room in the budget for the secret government organization to hire on sex workers <laughs> to... To to basically keep the peace, keep keep the anxiety down of the people who came in who were single, <laughs> yeah, and didn't hook up with each other. <laughs> what like, a wild detail! <laughs> I know it's like Christine knew that like sex was a feature of this genre, especially because like her competition was Ian F- motherfucking Fleming, who basically was writing his kinks right on the page. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but she just she was too Victorian to actually say to actually show it. <laughs> she she wrote she wrote in that detail, hoping that her fans would just write their own fan fiction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like there's a lot of authors I'm glad died before Twitter because I know like their opinions would be real there would be some terrible hot takes but also like Ian Fleming it wouldn't so much be the hot takes that would be his downfall it's the fact that he wouldn't stop being horny on me <laughs> <laughs> his big canceling would be when some sort of kink thing and drunk tweeting. That guy drank like a fucking fish. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Oh yeah. So yeah, like that is a weird detail that we can totally play with, and I like the um adding of um technology. Um, as for like, oh, but wouldn't people notice a whole bunch of scientists disappearing? No. 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 <laughs> Most scientists. Name five scientists. Name five scientists right now. You can't. <laughs> not Neil deGrasse Tyson 
not Bill Nye. <laughs> yeah, those two are untouchable because people would notice. Yes. Because <laughs> here's the thing, the people who would notice would be the peers of the scientists, but they would be the next ones on like the kidnapping list, basically. Yeah, and even then the kidnapping is pretty voluntary. It's a lot of, hey, we can fund all of your research that you have ever wanted to do. Yeah, well, here, basically it would be, we're, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna fund all the research that you ever wanted to do, and if somebody says this isn't on the up and up, that's when they get black bagged and, like, taken to the secret base in Morocco, and what, that's, what's, what's his name, Mr. Mr. Adrian's? Uh, Aristides. Mr. Aristophiles. Uh, he is the, Greek, so. <laughs> the magical Mr. Mistopheles <laughs> yeah. black bags the people who refused and said, listen, you were coming here anyway, except now you don't get to choose. Now you have to help other people on their <laughs> dissertations. And like the way that the place is described, it's described as being like a gilded cage. Like you're given like all of these luxuries, every need and want is met, but you can't leave. And they get around inspections by having everybody hide in like these little secret places all over the place. Because it's supposed to be a leper colony. Now we can change that to just like, I don't know, a power plant or something? Yeah, like, oh, and up the, bring it to modern day makes it a lot easier to just say this is private property, we don't need inspections. Yeah. Anyone who would be doing an inspection already works for me. Yeah. Do you know how easy it is to pay off officials? Yeah. But also I'm thinking, it would it would be very likely that um, Mr. Atreides... He, like, someone realizes that, I mean, everyone's going to know that this isn't quite on the up and up, but they don't care because of the science. But at some point, someone's going to realize, oh, we're making a lot of weapons that are being sold off. This is dangerous. I'm refusing to help anymore. And yeah. that person gets a bullet between the eyes. Mm -hmm. And I imagine a good 70% of the people there just look the other way. Because mm -hmm. at this point, they're already, like, they're doing stuff that they would never be allowed to do. Maybe not 70%. That's really cynical. But, like, all the high-ranking people that have it, been going along with it long enough are like, you know, shouldn't have said anything. Yeah. And also another thing in the book is that, like, um, at one point, Hillary is taken to this presentation. And instead of Mr. Aristides coming on to, like, they call him the the director. Um, but they have, like, an actor uh, who's a bit younger, good-looking, kind of acting like a cult leader and they say that oh yeah we picked this guy up who used to do like tent revivals in tennessee wow yeah really charismatic guy like if we want to go the route of the whole like man behind the curtain situation maybe mr aristides is known for being very reclusive like nobody's really seen him in a long time but like he still talks to people he still does business it's not like he's like that reclusive uh, unless <laughs> Maybe another thing going on with him is that he's, like, old and decrepit, and mm. the other thing he's getting these scientists to do is basically just keep him alive. Yeah. And he just, like, when Hillary finally meets him, he just, like, scoots out <laughs> on, like, this rolling throne, like Davros <laughs> from Doctor Who. <laughs> like the motherfucking god emperor from Warhammer <laughs> <laughs> on his golden throne. <laughs> <laughs> and then with um with uh what what was the other guy's name betterton yeah. i i feel like atreides would have been, no that's from dune uh aristides 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 would be dealt with whether he's actually taken like arrested or if he is like escapes He's he's taken off the table by like partway through episode five, and then the end is just like 
alone with the monster Hillary in Betterton when she realizes that he has made her and he knows she's not Olive and then he's trying to kill her and then the realization that, oh, you also killed Elsa. You probably killed Olive too. But why did you do that? Oh, that one was just for fun. I killed my wife. Well, he actually realizes that uh, Hillary is not Olive like right off the bat, but he's like, just play along with us because... So here's this entire thing. Okay. Nobody knew that he had plagiarized all of his work from Elsa. Now, this is the 1950s. They probably didn't have the same way of checking the work, but he knew that, like, at some point, someone was going to realize it because he hadn't come up with anything as... Basically, everybody thought he was a genius for finding the Z-E fission, and everybody was expecting him to come up with something just as great as that. So, throughout the book, he is just unraveling as a dude because he's like i am not that good of a scientist i am mediocre (laughs) and i they are going to kill me once they realize that i am fucking useless so hey hillary you should have made another human chimera (laughs) yeah (laughs) tanner's introductory episode to full metal alchemist (laughs) Uh, so yeah he's going nuts now Olive dies in a plane crash because she was invited to come be with Tom Thomas as kind of like oh yeah she'll help like calm his nerves and you know just get everything settled so that he can start doing his work and all that she dies in a plane crash and Hillary just so happens to look a lot like her but we could have it be like I don't know, maybe Olive also figured out that, oh, my husband isn't exactly who he says he is. Or this work seems a little suspicious. And, you know, this is the modern day. It's easier Mm -hmm. to find plagiarism than you think. And, like, if Elsa has a PhD, people would know her work. And I bet maybe somebody, like, aside from Andrazi, probably realized right away oh no this is not tom's work tom is too dumb to do this exactly yeah so yeah we have an alone with the psycho situation and i think it i'm thinking more in the lines of like he's just starting to go like full uh jack nicholson in the shiny <laughs> darling dear love of my life i just want to bash your brains in I'm not gonna hurt you i just want to fucking kill you and, like, we could set up Hillary as being, like, capable of, you know, at least some, like, she's clever. She can get herself out of situations. This is a situation where, like, hey, let somebody have a big damn hero moment. That's where the hot bodyguard comes in. The hot bodyguard can be Andrasa, because, as I said, Elsa has a cousin who I'm turning into a brother who is, like, I, <laughs> who's going to go full on. I am Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Well, now we're turning that brother into a sister. Yes. Andrea. (laughs) Yeah, she could do a whole, hey, remember me, motherfucker? No, shit, shit, fuck. Uh Now it's Elsa and Anna. Andrea. (laughs) Elsa figured out cold vision. Or fusion. If you're a nuclear physicist, email me and tell me if I'm stupid. <laughs> Look, we're two liberal arts majors. I know I'm stupid, but just for this specifically. We are two liberal arts majors. We appreciate <laughs> science. <laughs> we we respect it. 
We don't fucking understand it. <laughs> <laughs> we did you have to take a science class for a credit? I had to take a whole bunch of science classes because I was in computer science when I first came in, remember? Oh, yeah. And weren't you going to be a chemistry teacher? Yeah, I was going to be a chemistry teacher, and then I lost faith in my ability to teach the youth of today. So then I was going to be a computer scientist, and then I had a mental breakdown. So when I came back, I went into English, but because I'd already taken two years, four semesters worth of science classes, I used up all my electives. So the only other classes I took after that were English and a few religious studies to fill up my minor. <laughs> I just took geology. Yeah, you were stuck with geology. You were miserable every time that came up. Yeah. <sighs> Well, it was at dumb times, and, like, lab. The lab. Fuck, I hated the labs. Not, like, the labs themselves. It was just, like, the organization of the times to go to the lab. I met you for lunch one time. I was just like, hey, Lindsay, how's it going? I'm pretty sure you just went, I fucking hate rocks. <laughs> and here's the thing. I love volcanoes. But, like, Geology 100 is just, like, all geology. This is all the... This is everything. This is all the rocks. <laughs> I made a mistake. I also made a mistake in taking that logic class instead of just taking a regular ass fucking math class. Uh, we can gripe about university at some other time. <laughs> and all the <Yeah>. harmless. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much most of what I got. And then I'd be like, hey, HBO, do you want more episodes? Because we could totally like expand this. So would we expand it into original thing or would we use elements from other Agatha Christie stories? Probably original things because she didn't really go into a whole lot of spy fiction. Like she did have her Tommy Tumpets uh, series and that I think was adapted by the BBC. I'm not too sure. Yeah, that was adapted into Partners in Crime. Yeah, Partners in Crime. I'm just thinking we could like use elements of them, or we yes. can we can convert stuff into spy fiction. Mm-hmm. Like her non-Marple Poirot stuff, I think would probably be best suited for that. Poirot. <laughs> and somewhere, Hercule Poirot is just like it is Poirot. <laughs> I mean, so here, like we, yeah, probably wouldn't be using her like established characters because that would be crossing the streams a little too much for my yeah. taste but just and then there were none could easily be converted into like someone is tracking down agents and killing them and we don't know where the leak is yeah um there's a, a story called they came to baghdad which mm -hmm. the, the all the spy fiction ends up in the middle east because we fucked them up righteously yep and also her husband her second husband uh he specialized in uh mesopotamian civilization so that's why, like, a whole bunch of her books are set in the Middle East. That's the one with the hot archaeologist. Yeah! Um, I I know very little about the Mousetrap, but we <laughs> we could have her, like, there's an episode, maybe, like, the second season opens with her watching the Mousetrap, and then she gets called out, and so she misses the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, that's one where it's, it can only be a play unless it stops running, right? I think so. I don't know. See, I, all I know about the mousetrap is that you don't spoil the ending of the mousetrap. Okay. Oh, and then there were none. Like, the beginning shot would be really fucking chilling because, like, everybody's dead on an island. So somebody's going, what the fuck happened? This looked like a party gone wrong. This is like something out of Party Monster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, we could do this, like, British brevity style where it's, like, six episodes about an hour long. Yeah. 
That would be, I think that'd be pretty easy. Well, and if, if it's HBO too, then that's more like 55 minutes. It's not like 40 minutes in commercials. Yeah. And they have a shit ton of money. We could, like, what I'd really want to do is shoot in Morocco for at least the first season. Yeah. We could, I think we could easily get this off. Yeah. And if it wasn't HBO, it would probably be Amazon. Yeah. Easy. Because again, shit ton of money. Shit ton of money. Just give us your money. You don't need it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, again, with the modern, with the modern day settings, like, I think, uh, the big thing about Hillary's, Hillary was that she has a passing resemblance to Olive. Now, if she were played by a woman of color, like, I don't want to do the whole, like, people of color are interchangeable. No. We do want to find two actresses who do bear some resemblance. Mm-hmm. Like, we could try and cast siblings or relatives, and mm-hmm. then they're just not explicitly related in the show. Yeah. It, then we say, oh, it's a coincidence, but no, they just look similar because they're actually related in real life. Yeah. Or we could, it could just do, like, um, the, 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 the movie, I think it's called Dave, and it's about a guy who's a presidential impersonator, mm-hmm. and then he ends up impersonating the president for real. Because he's a doppelganger of the president. Mm-hmm. So we don't even necessarily have to cast two people. It could be the same actress. Yeah. And and we just say, wow, the resemblance is uncanny. And we've got hair and makeup department. We can make them look... We can differentiate. Yeah. Differentiate between them. Yeah. Like, oh, like even if it is a black woman, then we could say that Olive had natural hair, but Hillary wears hers like, oh, in a weave or straightened or whatever. Yeah. And so then that's the only thing they have to change. But like... So the, a lot of white people would probably be like, oh, a, a totally different person. I can't recognize her. And um, how I read this book, I had listened to the audiobook version that was read by Amelia Fox. And what she did was uh, Olive has this very high pitch, very flighty voice. Like she's always talking kind of like this and um, like always speeding up. And like you can tell she's kind of a high strung person, whereas Hillary has a much more calm cadence and she speaks with a deeper register so if we have the same actress playing olive and hillary like that's what she could do is like inflect the voice differently yeah it could it could also be a good comedic moment where she's going like you you really think that you think that people are just going to assume all black women look the same you think this guy isn't going to recognize that i'm not his wife and then Mm -hmm. they'll show her a picture of olive and she's like holy shit yeah (laughs) i've been cloned (laughs) apparently (laughs) <laughs> i mean it does happen from time to time statistically like you probably have a clone out there it yeah it isn't impossible it's mm-hmm. it's very unlikely extremely unlikely but it's not impossible yep you just smash the dna together <laughs> i mean it's just random happenstance so yeah like even relatives that are several generations off you can look at old photos and be like oh shit that is a strong resemblance. Mm-hmm. My brother, who is built very differently from my great-grandfather, pretty much has his face. Like, I've seen photos and I'm like, oh, yeah, you look a lot like great-granddad. Mm-hmm. My dad looks a lot like his uh, male predecessors, and I probably will too when I get older, because yeah. we all have the same nose. Yeah. A lot of it is in the nose. It's Yeah, well, because the nose kind of just defines the whole face. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, also, now that I think about it, I feel like Hillary would be very much like Sarah Manning when she comes in. 
Mm-hmm. So we just, yeah, all we have to find is the next Tatiana Maslany. Yeah. <laughs> Tatiana Maslany could play Andrea. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, HBO, give us money. Give us your money. <laughs> uh. This is all like an excuse for Lindsay to go to Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what Adam Sandler does. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix Netflix gives Adam Sandler $20 million. He takes his family on vacation and, and his friends on vacation. And they just like spends two days shooting a movie there. Yep. I mean, that's a great way to live a life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we need to go to the Swiss Alps for Hotel Transylvania 4. It's an animated movie. You don't have to do anything on vacation. Nope, nope. I need the money. We're, we gotta go skiing. Fine, Adam. <laughs> As for the other characters, I don't know. I don't know who else could play different characters. Doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and is there any other uh, plot points we need to cover, or have we kind of finished it up? I think we finished it up, and like, you know what? Mr. Aristides could be our Blofeld. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if he's arrested, he can escape, or mm-hmm. go out on bail, or get the case thrown out. Mm-hmm. Too much money. Yeah. <laughs> Because um, I'm pretty sure one of our billionaires is planning on something like this. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If they haven't started already. Mm-hmm. And on that happy thought, <laughs> we're going to go missing for two weeks. And then when we get back, the Friendship promo will have aired. Yes. This is an ad for a Pokemon actual play podcast. But this isn't your dad's Pokemon world. This is a serious Pokemon world. We're dark. We're edgy. There's death and crime and darkness across the world. Tanner, I keep getting attacked by bird Pokemon! Tanner, my Tyro keeps getting out of his baby harness! I'm stuck in the ghost zone again! <laughs> okay, okay, fine. It's. Listen. We might be a bit darker and have more swear words than a normal Pokemon actual play, but it's still a pretty fun romp through the Pokemon world with some great friends who love each other and Pokemon. So if you want to check it out, then come on down to Pokemon Adventures in the Millennium, part of the Pokecasters Network. And you can find any episode of Pokemon Adventures in the Millennium on your podcatcher of choice. Like what you hear? Remember to leave us a rating and review. And follow us on Twitter at PKMN underscore millennium. See you in Sinnoh! See, it's funny because you will be gone for like two weeks, but through the magic of editing and release schedules, it won't seem like you've been gone at all. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, tell the people where you can be found on the internet. I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and Instagram at SparkyUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for not if I boot you first, and they're pronounced Poro. You can also email us at notifyrebootyoufirst at gmail.com and you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and the ending to the mousetrap. <laughs> no, don't, they'll find you! <laughs> Do it, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, anyways, that's where you can also send us a friendship promo, uh, be it an audio clip or just a proof for us to read. Either way, we will put in a free ad for your podcast or your YouTube or even your DeviantArt. Not if I reboot you first as a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can talk more about this show or others on the network via our Corner Podcast Discord. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex, aka Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by our friend Sean Click. And you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional lands of the Cree, Soto, Assiniboine, and Métis. And last but not least, don't forget that you can buy this episode. It is not an NFT. It is just your name on a spreadsheet. But for $5 donation to the North Central Family Center, link in the description, we will say that you own this episode or whichever episode of this podcast that you so desire. So, Tanner. So, Lindsay, you've inspired me. I have two possible ideas for our next episode. So I'm going to let you pick. Okay. Do you want an, a female romance novelist adventure again? Or do you want a mad scientist pulpy sexy adventure again? Oh, God. Mad scientist pulpy sexy adventure. Okay, then we will... Next week, we'll be discussing a nudist in a mink coat. <laughs> and the Philosopher's uh Stone. Okay! <laughs> But not if we reboot you first. Bye! <laughs>